My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the Lord be in my heart and on my lips that I may fitly and worthily proclaim the Holy Gospel in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, my sermon title is Salvation and Story. Salvation and Story. Story and storytelling is ubiquitous across all human cultures in all times. And we can all remember when a story gripped us, held us in its thrall. And story is something that still drives culture. It still drives Entertainment. In fact, movies, plays, books all revolve around a story. They have characters. There's a, if it's well written, they, there's a plot. And it's moving towards something. And they interact and they're changed or they change. And we see new shows on your streaming uh, platform of choice, Netflix and Amazon and Disney. I'm very excited because one of my favorite shows just came back for its final season on Amazon Prime. And I'm a little sad that it's the last one, but I'm happy because it's the next season, right? And we all have those shows and there's story after story after story after story. And they're great, but all stories, brothers and sisters, point towards one overarching story. Maybe we could call it one meta story if we want to use that terminology. One story that controls all stories or one story that all stories participate in or point towards, which is why much of modern storytelling sometimes falls short because it's not drawing from the one story anymore. And that one story is God's action for us in the world through Jesus Christ. Divine revelation. And divine revelation, brothers and sisters, is mediated to us through story. God does not just take on human flesh, but God also recounts the story of his people leading up to that supreme moment in history. God reveals that to humanity through his appearing and through the retelling of that story. Sacred scripture, the Bible, is the story of God and God's people, culminating in the advent of Jesus Christ. The salvation story and our entrance into that story and our ongoing participation as that story is what it means when we say that God is with us. So in the reading from 1 Chronicles chapter 29, what I'm going to do is, I'm not going to reread the whole thing, but there were a few verses that got cut off in the selection from the Revised Common Lectionary, so I'm just going to read those few verses, those few verses here for you because I want to talk a little bit about them uh, this morning. David says in verse Uh, 13, and now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. 
For we are all strangers before you and sojourners, as all of our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there's no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the hearts and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here offering free, freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. So in this passage from First Chronicles, we see David at the end of of his life. His son Solomon is about to be anointed king. And the last few chapters before this in First Chronicles lays out David's organization of the priests, of the Levites, of the musicians, as well as all of the provisions that he had made ready for Solomon so the temple for God could be built. And then gathered in the presence of the assembly, Right, the gathering of God's people in Hebrew, kahal, in Greek, ekklesia, which is where we get the word church. David, in the midst of God's gathered people, prays. And in his prayer, he situates his own part of the story of the people of God within the larger framework of God's own purposes. And in verse 18, we saw he addressed God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or, or Jacob. He's appealing to a particularly powerful story. God, you are the God of Abraham. You are the God of Isaac. You are the God of Israel. The God of, is also named Jacob. God says to Abraham, remember, I think in chapter 12 of Genesis, get you out of your home. And then go to a land that I haven't told you about yet, but once you start going on the way, then I'm going to tell you. That's basically what God says. He's like, just start walking, and I'll tell you, maybe in this, this general direction, just walk, and then as you go, I'll kind of start to reveal to you more and more where it is that you're going, right? And Abraham listens. He obeys. And God says to Abram, before he changes his name to Abraham, he says, I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in you, all of the nations of the world, And then he also says to Abraham, the one day he calls him out of the tent and he says, look up at the stars. And Abraham does. And God says, your, so shall your descendants be. And that's not just a description to the number of his, his descendants, right? There's going to be millions of them like the stars, but the type of people they will become. And then we look at Isaac. Isaac is Abraham's son, the promised son of God's covenant with Abraham. And in Isaac's story, we see him willingly go with his father Abraham to the mountain of sacrifice. We also see in the Isaac story, his father sends out servants to seek for him a bride. If there isn't, I mean, some people say Isaac is a kind of a boring character, but what I just summarized for you right now in the story of Isaac has so many parallels with our Lord. And with the larger salvation story, it's, it's almost hard to miss that. He faithfully serves God. He repeats, you know, some of his father's mistakes. But Isaac, the promised son of the covenant, walks in the way of his father. And then we have his son, Jacob. <laughs> who stole his older brother's inheritance. Who was blessed by his father Isaac instead of Esau. 
I, I believe Isaac then says, the older will serve the younger. And then Jacob flees out of fear. And as he flees out of fear, as he goes to sleep one night, he has a vision of God. Then the deceiver is himself deceived by his own father-in-law. And then on the way back, he wrestles with an angel who turns out somehow to be God. And his name is changed from Jacob, which means like heel sneak or deceiver. His name is changed to Israel, the one who contends with God. And then Jacob, ha Israel, has 12 sons who become the fathers of the 12 tribes of the people of Israel, setting finally in the promised land, promised to them by God. Part of their story, then led out of slavery from Egypt into the promised land. And this is the story that David's people are still a part of. They're still in that same story. And what they're doing will be codified itself in Scripture. So their story joins up with the wider story. And then that story comes to us. And we ourselves participate in the ongoing story. And then in the reading from Luke chapter 1 verses 67 to 79 we see Zechariah and if we've read the gospel of Luke we'll know the story of Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest. He is in the temple fulfilling his priestly duties and then the angel appears to him while he's ministering to the Lord in the temple. If you're going to have a vision that would be the place for it. And the angel says, hey, you're going to have a son. And Zechariah's like, it's impossible. It's impossible. And Zechariah should be the first person to say, that's possible because Zechariah is a priest. He knows the story. He knows the stories of Israel's history, of Abraham and Sarah promised a child, did not get one until their old age. Knows the story of Hannah. And her barren womb being opened by God and her son Samuel knows the story of, of, the, of uh, Samson, right? Being born for, to a barren mother. They know, he knows these stories. But when the angel says to him, you're going to have a son, he's like, eh, I don't know, how's that possible? And the angel says, because you did not believe the Lord, you won't be able to speak. And he's struck dumb and mute. And then the baby is born and they ask his mother Elizabeth, what will the baby's name be? She says, John. And so they're like, eh, that doesn't sound right. That's not a family member. We're actually going to go ask, we're going to go ask Zechariah. Zechariah, what is this baby's name going to be? And as the angel instructed him to do, he wrote down, his name is John. And immediately he was freed. And the first things out of his mouth was not Wow, that took a really long time. It's hard not to talk for nine months, having to write everything down for nine months. The first thing he does is he says, Blessed be the Lord God. He doesn't say, Why did you do this to me, God? Why did you let this happen to me, God? The first thing out of his mouth is, Blessed be the Lord God. Because God has raised up for them the horn of salvation in the house of his servant David. And then he says, this was spoken of by all of the prophets. And this begins to fulfill the promise spoken to their forefathers. Who are their forefathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Israel. 
That oath is the oath he says he swore to our father Abraham. So Zechariah is situating his own experience and then the coming work of his son John directly into the story of God. The story of what God is doing that David was a part of, which is part of the wider story of God's promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And this promise is specific to be saved from their enemies and to be shown mercy so that they can faithfully serve God in holiness and righteousness. That sounds familiar. It's almost like we talked about that the first Sunday of Advent. Go back and listen to that if you missed it. So with both of these, they have a, their initial response is very similar, right? They both start off, David and Zechariah, they both say, blessed be, blessed be. So they both begin their prayer by blessing God. David glorifies God by focusing on what we would probably call God's sovereignty, God's omnipotence. He says, yours is the greatness, the majesty, the power, the glory, and the victory. He's praising God for who God is and for God's actions. And then notice when he has a clear view of who God is and what God has done. He's able then to have a clear view of himself and the people of Israel. When he gets this clear view of God as the great one, as the majestic one, the one who is full of power and glory, the victorious one, he has a clear view of himself. And he says, who am I? Who are these people? Everything we have is a gift from you. He says we're sojourners. He says we're shadows. We're strangers. Who are we? We're not worthy. And then he says, you've tested my heart and you've tested all of our hearts and you have seen that all that we have offered to you, even though you have given it to us, we offer it back to you joyfully. And in response, he asks, direct our hearts towards you right so we get that view of God right when we get the view of God for who God is and what God has done we get a picture of God's majesty of God's beauty of God's of God's holiness then it helps us to situate ourselves appropriately in his presence it helps us to be a little bit more humble that maybe we're not all that as much as we think we are Maybe we're not as cool as we think we are. I'm very uncool. Sometimes I think I'm cool. I am very uncool. And then in the light of God, that uncoolness is magnified by like a million. We get a clear vision of ourselves. Who am I? And who are we? And we, in response to that, we ask God to direct our hearts towards him. Let's talk a little bit about salvation that they both refer to. Zechariah talks about the horn of salvation raised through the house of your servant, David. The house of your servant, David. God is fulfilling his promises 
to the prophets. God is fulfilling the promises he made to his servant David. Because God said to David, if you walk before me, if you listen to me, if you serve me, if you love me, and you, and you obey me and be faithful to me, he says, I will establish the, your house, your kingdom forever. And he says that to them a few times. And then David sets everything up for Solomon, right? So all Solomon has to do is start building when he steps in. And God says to Solomon, if you follow me the way your servant David did, guess what? Your house, the house of your father David, will be established forever, right? And so Zechariah here in the Gospel of Luke, he recognizes that salvation has come through the house of David. Because who are Mary and Joseph? Who is Joseph through? Joseph is descended through the house of David, which is why they have to go to Bethlehem in the first place. And we are saved from our enemies. We are saved from our enemies. And so in Christianity, right, in an effort to make it easily communicable, right, in order to, to be able to summarize it and to share it with people, what we do, and this isn't a bad thing, right, we do it so we can communicate it better. But what we've done is we, we've said to people, are you saved? And they're like, saved? And then we give them, you know, for God to love the world, that he gave his only son, that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And then we ask them sometimes, say this prayer and ask Jesus to come into your heart so you can be saved. But it's not just salvation from eternal punishment. When the scripture talks about salvation, it's much more holistic than that. We are saved from our enemies. And as we read the scriptures, we see that the enemies of the people of God are almost personified through sin, through death, and through Satan and the forces of darkness. That's who we're being saved from. And then we are being saved for union with God. And so God... Zechariah is saying here, God remembers and God will do what he said. And then he's like, our father Abraham, right? So remember Abraham, that promise is here. That promise is beginning to be fulfilled right now in our very midst. This deliverance from our enemies is going to bring with it freedom so that we can serve God without fear. So we can serve God in holiness. God will cause his light to shine in darkness and we will have peace. That's what salvation is. This deliverance from our enemies of sin and death and Satan help us then to serve God without fear because God draws us through love. This allows us to serve God in holiness because when we are received into his people, we are made holy, we are washed clean, and we are set apart for God's use. God will cause his light to shine in darkness, the light that we have been given. We don't put it under a basket, right? Like the little kid's song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, 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 shine. That's actually really profound because what it's telling us is the light of Christ that has been given to us is not just something that we hide like it's our little secret this light is something that brings salvation, it brings freedom, it brings liberation from our great enemies of sin, death, and Satan. 
And that ultimately brings us peace. First, it brings us peace with God. St. Paul says, having been justified by faith in Galatians, we have peace with God. And then, because we have peace with God, then we can have peace with one another. But we can't have peace with one another before we have peace with God. And this, brothers and sisters, is all part of the story. The salvation that we are offered. We are part of the story. Our stories will never be encoded into sacred scripture. But our story, even the story of this church, becomes part of the story of the people of God. Because the promises that God made to Abraham and Isaac and to Israel mediated through the house of David, right? Ultimately realized in Jesus Christ. All of those promises are for you. It's not just for that select group of people at that time. That promise of salvation, that freedom from, from sin and from death and from Satan is just as much for you as it was for them. I think I quoted this last week, but St. Peter says, I think in Acts chapter 2 or 3, for the promise is for you, for your children, and for all those who are far off that God will call to himself. And all of those who are far off that God has called to himself, that's you. That's me. And the beautiful thing about the story of God is then we can then see our story, the lives that we've lived, we can then situate our own story into the story of God. As we align ourselves to God. As we live for Him without fear. And in holiness. And in peace. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have a few minutes, I'd ask you to go to GoFundMe.com slash Zion's Stone Church Repair Fund. We have some significant repair work that we need to do on our bell tower, as well as some repair work due to a recent lightning strike. Anything you'd be able to help us out with, we would greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to get a hold of me, or you have any questions about what you've heard, feel free to reach out at our Facebook page, Zion's Stone UCC, or you can check us out on our website, zionstoneucc.com. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.